Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, joining me today. This is going to be a great hour. Daryl B. Harrison, I know what the B stands for, just so you know, is going to be joining me in just a minute. But I'm looking at a passage right out of the book of Acts, chapter 5, in verse uh, 40 through 42. It says this, After calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. So, they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 42. I've uh, had a quote from Daryl Harrison that I think I've brought up to at least two or three of my guests all week. And now I get to actually talk to him about it, which is going to be great. And, uh, Daryl is uh, coming to us today. He's uh, out in Southern California, and he uh, is with the, the Dean of Social Media at Grace to You. That's the Bible uh, teaching ministry of John MacArthur. And in his role there, he is uh, just responsible for developing and implementing the social ministry's media strategy. And he also has a, a blog called Just Thinking for Myself. And he is... Um, one of my uh, favorite guests that comes on, and every time he comes on, I learn so much, and I want to let all my listeners know that uh, you need to maybe have a pen handy, because there's probably some things you're going to want to jot down. So, Daryl, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill. How are you, my friend? I'm so well. I'm so good, and I'm so glad I finally have you as my guest at, uh, this week. Bill, I wanted to say right at the top, I, I recognized your bumper music. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Fleetwood Mac from the Rumors album. Exactly. Yeah. Lindsey Buckingham playing guitar. Indeed. With no pick. You know, with, Lindsey with no Buckingham pick. does not use a pick. I know right? he doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Yeah. You, I'm gonna send Are you, you impressed some... that I knew that? <laughs> I am so impressed. <laughs> I'm so impressed. All right. All right. Let's just say one of the weirdest weeks I can remember. Yeah. And I'm kind of at yeah. the epicenter here in Minneapolis. Yeah, you are. You definitely are. And That's one reason I was looking forward to being on with you uh, today, Bill, because you're you're there where it's all happening. Mm-hmm. And I uh, brought up something on the show, maybe it was yesterday or the day before, I had Dr. Carl Ellis on. Do you know Carl? I do. Good man, isn't he? He is. And we were talking. We, dis- uh, we, we disagree on some things, but he's a group. He's a good guy. He's a good man. Yeah, yeah. I um, I would imagine so. So anyway, we started talking about. Uh, race reconciliation and r- racial tension and all of that is uh, that exists and then you have this uh, line about um and i'll just say it many people say they want to end racism i understand what they mean by that but racism racism isn't like a carton of milk with an expiration date biblically ethnic prejudice racism is not an ism it is a hate period and you quote First John 2, uh, 9 through 11. And the only way to end hatred is by repenting of that sin 
and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, I know I've gotten pushback from listeners uh, when we talk about racism, and I would love for you, as an African-American man, to talk to my audience about what you mean by this this line I just read. Yeah, so um, when you talk about anything that's an ism, okay, so we have the term racism, the root word is race, okay, so root word is a noun, but when you add the suffix ism to it, that changes it from a noun to a verb, okay? So anyone who wants to use the word racism, they're talking about an action, okay? all right, be it a behavior or an attitude. But scripturally, okay, when you get into that arena, when you get into the arena of behavior and attitude, that changes the conversation from being a sociological conversation where you have just race to a theological conversation. Because what you have to do is have a basis for that ism. You have to have a base. What is your basis for saying that this is now progressed from a noun to a verb Mm -hmm. where you're seeing someone express a behavior or an attitude? And scripture tells us that all our attitudes, all our behaviors, for better or worse, for good or for ill, begin in the heart. They're originating in the heart. So as you know, Bill, I personally do not even subscribe to terms like race and racism. But for the sake of the conversation that we're having today, I'll go ahead and use those terms. But to simplify it biblically and theologically and scripturally, Scripture teaches that there are only two attitudes that you and I can have towards one another. Mm -hmm. There are only two. I either love you, Bill, or I hate you. That's what Scripture teaches. Mm -hmm. 1 John 2, 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So Scripture speaks in terms of love and hate. It's very simple. We complicate the issue by adding sociocultural terms to describe and label the sinful attitudes and behaviors that we express towards one another. But Scripture teaches, I can only have one or two attitudes towards you. That's either I love you or I hate you. After that, the only question that remains is, how do those two attitudes manifest themselves towards each other? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty much that simple. Yeah. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. So that scripture is clear. It's either it's either love or hate. This really isn't complicated. It's not, and I think God wants it to be simple, doesn't He? And He does, because what did Christ say? He said, "Let the children come unto Me. Mm-hmm. Let the children come unto Me, and do not hinder them." Now, if the gospel is Jesus thought the gospel was simple enough for a child to understand. But we've, we've so complicated the gospel by mixing it. I kind of use the analogy of watercolors. You've ever painted with watercolors, uh, Bill? You know how difficult it is to keep one watercolor from blending in or blurring in with another watercolor? It's almost impossible. Well, that's what, we do, that's what we're doing right now in the church. We are inculcating into theological and biblical Orthodox biblical, Orthodox theological language, the language of the world. And you know probably better than anyone how dogmatic I am that Christians need to stand on biblical terms using biblical vernacular and do not use the world's terms. Because when you start using the world's terms like race, racism, 
then you start having the conversation on the world's turf. So when you use the world's terms, you end up fighting a battle on the world's turf, and you will lose that battle every time. Mm-hmm. Daryl, I would love for you to talk about we what the Bible teaches about God creating one human race and then uh, all these ethnicities and people with different uh, levels of um, um, uh, you know, different skin colors and different hair textures and everything else, and how we're we are one human race. Yeah. So my favorite, uh, my favorite text. I have two favorite texts uh, in that regard. Actually, the first one is in Acts chapter seventeen, verse twenty-six. Acts chapter seventeen, verse twenty-six. Well, I, which I will read from the uh, New American Standard translation. Acts seventeen twenty-six reads, "And he made that is God." He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Okay, so Acts 17.26 makes it clear. God made from one man. That one man was Adam. Every nation. Now, here's where it gets interesting in that text, because that word nation there in the English has nothing to do with geographical boundaries. Okay? When you look at that word, nation in the Greek. The Greek noun is the word ethnos, E-T-H-N-O-S. And it's from that Greek word that we get our English word ethnicity, ethnicity. So this text can be interpreted as saying, and he made from one man every ethnicity of mankind, every ethnos to live on all the face of the earth. Now, that phrase, all the face of the earth, will be familiar to to us from Genesis chapter 11. This is where God confuses the language at the Tower of Babel and then disperses everyone over all the face of the earth. We see that here in Genesis 11, verse 8. Let me start at verse 7. This is God speaking. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. So you can really trace the various ethnicities that we have right now, knowing right from Acts 17, 26, that God created ethnicities, not races. And the genesis of those ethnicities, ironically, is in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 8. So that's how far back the origins of the various genesis, uh, ethnicity, ethnicities rather go. You can go all the way back to Genesis 11, verse 8, and that explains how we have the ethnicities that exist today. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting, Daryl. Um, I think I'm going to take a short break before I start uh, with my next question, because it seems to be that time to take a break. Daryl B. Harrison is my guest. We will uh, be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. Daryl B. Harrison is my guest. You can head over to his website, justthinking.me, justthinking.me. And Daryl, when we start talking about uh, race and racism and all of that, it certainly stirs up a lot of emotions. I've been getting some messages and uh, from listeners, and uh, a voicemail that came in just today was saying that um, if you, they were troubled that race is 
that racism was not in the Bible. And, and she was saying she's not racist, but if you believe uh, that we were talking about uh, implying that if you believe there are different races, then you're racist. And I guess I don't know if I completely can help solve this concern this listener has, but um, I see the human race as one. All races come from one man, and God says us. God says we need to love our our neighbor. So, well, yeah, I concur with you there, Bill. And as we just read in Acts seventeen twenty six, Acts seventeen twenty six should settle that issue. There's there's one race. When the Bible uses the word race, it's not talking about. See, here here's the thing. Here's here's the line of demarcation that Christians have to make here. The world, and we should expect the world to think one way. The world, when they use the term race, they're really strictly talking about skin color. They're talking about melanin. What level of melanin does a person have? So in your case, Bill, someone would call you white, but they call that a race. But it's not a race in the terms, in, in the context that the Bible is speaking of in, uh, in terms of ethnicity. Uh, the culture says, I see your skin color. If, you're, if you have a certain level of melanin, uh, on the lesser end of the scale, then you're white. If you're like me and you've got a level of melanin that's on the darker end of the scale, then you're black. Uh, and they interpret that as race. And see, this is what the church, this is where professing Christians have to draw the line. This is an example of what I was talking about earlier about us being dogmatic about using biblical terms and biblical vernacular. When the Bible talks about race, it's talking about genus. That's that's a, our, our type. So when Scripture uses the word race, it's talking about the human type, the human genus, a type of creation that God has made called human beings. So when we look at Acts seventeen twenty six, he made from one man. Now we know that that man is Adam. So every one of us, every human being who has ever inhabited this planet can trace their ancestry back to one person, and that person is Adam. You know, when you look at there, there's even secular research that's out right now that validates the fact, that confirms the fact that 99% of us have the same type of, uh, of similarities in our DNA that would trace us back to Adam. So the Bible does not teach multiple races. The Bible teaches ethnicities. Acts 17, Genesis 11. That, that, that point should be clear enough. Mm-hmm. And this listener also uh, uh, chimed in. I think she was referring to Revelation 7-9, uh, a great multitude right. that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. So there's this great celebration of ethnicity and uh, different uh, skin colors and different tribes yeah. and languages and nations. And she was uh, uh, you know, celebrating that as... as something wonderful and to be celebrated. So your thoughts to that? Yeah, and she should celebrate that. And the cool thing about that text, Revelation 7, 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number from every nation. There's that word nation again. It's the same Greek word. It's the same Greek word as mm-hmm. Acts 17, 26. Every ethnicity and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing there. See, here's the cool thing, Bill, about this verse being in Revelation. Because the fact that it's in Revelation means in God's eyes, it's already a done deal. Okay? Everything in Revelation, as far as God is concerned, 
is as good as 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 if it had already happened. So th- that's that's what I want believers to see here when they read that verse in seven nine. This is was was what we read here in Revelation seven nine is not something that we need to make happen. Okay, so this this is this is why I'm so against programmatic efforts at outreach to diversify local churches to become more multi-ethnic. We see here in Revelation 7 that God is going to accomplish that, and he's accomplishing it right now. Every person alive is, is, is of some ethnic background. So every, every church congregation is, an ethnic, is a multi-ethnic congregation. I don't care what color your skin is. Every congregation is a multi-ethnic congregation because each and every one of us is an ethnic person. So, so Revelation 7-9 is a done deal in God's mind. We don't have to help make that happen. God's going to have that happen in his sovereignty. He's already doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, Daryl, what about the all the injustices that have happened against the African-American community over so many years? Well, that's another... Uh, sensitive topic to a lot of people, okay? Uh-huh. And I, under, I understand that, um, and I don't mean to be simplistic about this. I want to emphasize the word simplistic, but I think the first thing as believers, and I like to think that I'm talking primarily to believers when I talk with you, Bill, believers have to remind themselves, number one, that we live in a sinful world. We live in a world beset, enslaved, to sin. As a matter of fact, 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world. And when you look at that phrase, whole world, in the Greek, it literally translates complete. That, that, that means to say the world is completely, all the world systems are completely, without exception, in the power of the evil one. So when we remind ourselves of what the Word of God says about this world in which we inhabit, we should not be surprised when when injustices happen. As a matter of fact, there's an excellent text that I want to go to real quick in Ecclesiastes. Yeah, before you go there, yeah, Darrell, before you go there, though, give me that uh, first out of 1 John again. Yeah, 1 John 519. 519, thank you. you. Now you can skip to Ecclesiastes. uh, Listen to Ecclesiastes 5.8. It says, if you see oppression of the poor, and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. So again, I would just urge every believer out there, when you see injustices happening, please know that in a sinful world like the one in which we live, injustices are going to happen because they're supposed to happen in a world that's bereft with sin. But take a step back. Go to the Word of God before you go to the news. Go to the Word of God before you go to the media. Go to your knees in prayer before you sometimes even listen to your best friends or relatives and what they have to say. Because God's Word has already addressed all these issues, and we need to go there first. So sadly, injustices are going to occur. God's Word confirms that, and we will these are incidents, uh, like, for instance, what happened to George uh, Floyd. These are incidents that are going to happen until Christ returns and makes all things new. Mm-hmm. And I also, Daryl, I think of Second Timothy 2, and down in uh, verse 
starting in 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Very Does that not make verse. you shudder? I know. That's a very powerful passage. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible passage. Yeah, Darrell, when you're, when you're watching the news and you see what's going on, uh, I'm not talking about the peaceful protesters. I'm just talking about some of the the the, the wanton looting and violence and, and burning stuff down. Do you, do you not see um, uh, evil? Right. Okay. Right. And see, and, and, and society wants to call, they want to call it everything but evil. They want to call it everything but evil. But, you know, you look at Revelation 22, 11, it says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. Mm-hmm. So th- this is going to be around for a while yeah. <laughs> until Christ returns. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I just, um, every time we talk about this, I, I get, um, I assume that there's going to be a, a strong emotional reaction. And I, I want my listeners to know that uh, you have full access to Daryl B. Harrison. All you have to do is send me a text to 877-933-2484, and you can ask whatever question you like. Or if you've heard something you need clarification on, uh, please do that, because uh, we want to be uh, clear. We want to have clarity. We want faith. We want hope. We want clarity here on this show. So, again, uh, the number is 877-933-2484. Uh, two four eight four. Uh, Daryl, I'm going to take a break here in just a couple minutes, but um, I want to just get get your view from thirty five thousand feet on the week. Okay. Well, my view on the week. Um, let me just emphasize that word view because I've not been watching much on television. Okay. Period. Okay. No, no much news on the, on the internet. I selectively pick and choose what news I want to be in, informed about. But the one sticking point for me. Um, again, I'm looking at the landscape of the church and just looking at how there seems to be no context being provided when people use the term justice and injustice. Everyone seems to have their own definition of it. And I don't know, uh, Bill, are you going to be coming up on a break here a second? I can wait to do this. Yeah, I think I will. Until after your break. Yeah, I think that'd be a good thing. That way we can reset right after the break and we can get started. Uh, Daryl B. Harrison is my guest. And again, if you have a a question, let me know what it is. We'd love to hear from you. This is your hour, um, and I've got Daryl on the phone. So uh, 877-933-2484. Or if you feel more comfortable emailing, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Daryl B. Harrison is my guest. He's uh, Dean of Social Media at Grace to You. And of course, that's uh, John MacArthur's, MacArthur's Church. You can also go to his website, justthinkingformyself.me. Justthinking.me. Justthinking.me. There you go. All right, uh, Daryl, right before we went to break, I think we were getting uh, closer to the biblical view of justice. Am I right? That's right, Bill. So, okay. yeah, so I was saying earlier, right before the break, that the world is throwing at us a very subjective definition of what justice is. I think the definition changes as often as the wind changes direction. And this is another opportunity for us as Christians to go to the Word of God for an objective, fixed definition of what justice and injustice are because when the world talks about justice, what a lot of folks really mean is that I'm looking for a certain outcome in the situation. They don't really want impartial, uh, unbiased, unprejudiced justice. What they really want, justice for them means a certain outcome. And if this certain outcome doesn't come to fruition, then they deem that to be an injustice. Mm -hmm. But I want to read from the Word of God here in Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus 19, verse 15. Here we have God's definition of justice and injustice in one verse. One verse, Leviticus 19:15. God says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. That's, that's God's definition of justice and injustice in one verse, okay? So God is saying here, in this one verse, God is exhibiting here that he shows no partiality whatsoever. God says here that you shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. Now, in the discussion that's going on in society right now, you're hearing a lot of talk about people being oppressed, uh, entire classes of people being oppressed, not just individuals, entire classes of people being oppressed, and based on their status as an oppressed class, that we should give deference to them because they're have-nots. Mm-hmm. And now that argument is being made under the uh, misguided notion that there should be equity in the world. There should be equity in the world. But that's a misguided notion. God says here in Leviticus 19 that you shall not even be partial to the poor. So even to give deference to the poor is a sin. Now, someone might say, well, yeah, the 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 the, uh, the standard argument over I don't know however many decades now has uh, has, has been against those who the, the haves let's call them the haves has been against the haves that we need to take from the haves and make a more equitable society by redistributing what the haves have to the have-nots. But no, but God says that's a sin. That's a sin. You are not even to be partial to the poor, nor to the great. Okay. So in this intrinsic with this one text. Leviticus 19.15, God establishes that, that, yeah, there's two classes of people. There's the poor, and then there's the great. And and, and as Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor with you. Why? Well, because we live in a world of sin. The Bible doesn't teach equity. The Bible does not teach that society should be equitable. That That is a misnomer that the church is beginning to embrace and it's a it's 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 an error. It's an error of understanding scripture. Hmm. Wow, that's a lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom, Daryl. All right, can I address just a couple of questions coming in from listeners? Sure, go right uh, ahead. Awesome. 
Um, here's one. A black friend of mine explained to me what Black Lives Matter means. She said it does not mean that white lives or any other color does not matter, but that blacks are trying to get out the word that black lives have equality with white lives. Can you expound on that some more? Yeah. So, again, like I always try to do um, whenever I'm writing on my podcast, whenever I have an, uh, an opportunity to address a question like that, I go to what Scripture says. I go to what does the Word of God say so we can have an objective conversation uh, as opposed to a subjective conversation around a question like that. So for, for anyone who would say to me that Black Lives Matter, um, and, and, and this, is, this is an example of how hashtags can be so detrimental to a conversation. So someone says, just, you know, they just throw out the phrase, well, Black Lives Matters matter too. Well, my response would be, well, why do they matter? Why do they matter at all? Now, if your answer to that question is anything other than what we see in Genesis 127, See, here, Genesis 127 is why human life matters. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ditch the hashtags for right now. Okay. No black lives matter. <laughs> yeah. No white lives matter. Okay. I'm going to ditch the hashtags. Genesis 127. This is why human life matters. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That is why human life matters. I was speaking with someone the other day, Bill, and if I could just use an analogy real quick. Sure. Let's say you're driving down the road. You're driving down the road. You're on your way to work, and you see a, uh, a dead raccoon, a raccoon carcass on the side of the road. Chances are you're probably going to keep driving, right? You're oh, yeah. Keep driving. Oh, yeah. I'm putting the, me- the pedal down. But, it, but if, you ke- if you're driving to work and you happen to see a human being lying on the side of the road, I doubt very seriously that you will just keep driving. Slam on my brakes. You're going to slam on the brakes, yep. pull that car over, yep. and you're going to jet race out of out. that car race out. to see what's happened yes. to that individual. Yes. Well, the question becomes, why do you have one attitude towards a raccoon carcass and another attitude towards a human being? They're, they're, still, they're, they're both lying on the same side of the road. Is it the road? No. It's that one of those objects, for lack of a better word, was created in the image of God, and one wasn't. Mm -hmm. The raccoon was not created in the image of God. So we have an inherent awareness that human life is valuable above all other life on this planet on the basis of Genesis 127. So it's not not about hashtags. It's about verses. (laughs) Someone should should start a hashtag that says, hashtag Genesis 127. Now, that's the, that's the Christian response to a question like that. That's the biblical response. So when someone says, hey, Black Lives Matter, oh, you have to ask, well, why? Why? Why does it matter? And I, I, very, I doubt very seriously they'll have a, 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 uh, a solid, objective answer to that. But again, I'm talking to Christians here. We have got to learn to think critically about what's going on around us. And the Word of God has answers to every single question. Mm. Outstanding. Another question uh, comes in from a listener that says, as Christians living in white middle-class neighborhoods going to mostly white middle-class churches, 
what can we do in addition to praying for unity and healing in our cities and country? Yeah, that's a great question. I would just elevate that question at one level. I would elevate that question at one level. Um, I look at uh, Mark chapter 1, and a favorite verse of mine in Mark chapter 1 is, this is the first sermon that Jesus ever gave after he had been tempted uh, in the wilderness by Satan. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Jesus, Jesus said this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, why do I go to that verse in response to the question that was asked? Because what we need to be praying for is for people to repent primarily, okay? Primarily, we need people in this nation, unbelievers and believers, because believers, we're still repenting of sin even though we're, we're believers. Mm-hmm. But what we need, we need, first of all, our hearts that repent and believe the gospel, because hearts that, that are truly regenerate, truly born again, and have the Holy Spirit residing in them, then we know from the fruit of the Spirit that unity and peace is going to be a natural outflow of that. So you can't pray for peace and unity and reconciliation apart from spiritual regeneration. Because outside of spiritual regeneration by the Holy Spirit of God, everything else is just behavior change, behavior adjustments. Um, And that can last an hour, a day, a week, a minute. But when you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, those attitudes are ever present, right? And it's like mm-hmm. um, like Paul said in Rome, Romans, he said, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Live, make it a way of life to be at peace, to do what you can to be at peace with everyone. But that, see, that kind of peace is the peace that Jesus talked about in John chapter 14. He said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. So Jesus wasn't talking about the peace that the world gives. He's talking about his peace, which is an ever-present reality in the life of of the believer. So again, I appreciate that question, but I would just raise it one notch a little bit there and say we need to be praying for repentance, that that God would, uh, by his uh, monergistic power, would uh, take the veil away from uh, unbelievers, bring them to faith in Jesus Christ, so that so that as John the Baptist said, we can do works in keeping with repentance, not just do works for the works themselves, but do works that are motivated by a repentant and regenerate heart. Mm, that's really, really powerful, Daryl. Another question from a listener, I feel like I have to deconstruct so many false ideas before a discussion begins with my my Mormon neighbors, my agnostic relatives, and uh, so is there a practical way to discuss truth for those who are deceived and angry? Wow, that's a that's a great question. You know, I look at uh I look at uh I look at Jesus and 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 I'll start to make a general statement, but let me be more specific. This can be uh what I'm about to say should be a rule of thumb, a biblical rule of thumb. Excuse me for every believer out there. A biblical rule of thumb is to always go back and look at what Jesus did. You know, it was popular years ago, the whole WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would do what Jesus did. <laughs> you need to go back yeah. and, and look at what Jesus did. 
Go back and look at the Gospels and look at what Jesus did. Look at how Jesus um, managed uh, interactions with people who were angry. Everywhere Jesus went, someone was angry with him. Everywhere he went. Look look at how Jesus responded uh, when he was confronted, uh, when he was uh, uh, talked about. I mean, I think for a person who asked him that question, it may be good for them to go back and meditate on Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I think that would be encouraging and emboldening, emboldening for that person. But I think we need to get very practical here, and we need to understand and accept, okay? Number one, that when we're sharing truth with someone, we need to relieve ourselves of the burden of making that truth effectual, okay? That's not our job. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can take the truth that we share and drive it into the heart of a person. So we need to relieve ourselves of the second half of that responsibility, the second half being to make the truth effectual. We are to share the truth, but we can't make the truth effectual to a person. And we need to accept the fact that, as Jesus gave the uh, parable in the Gospels, some truth is just going to land on stony ground, and it's not going to take root. And we need to be able to accept that. So we continue to share the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, realizing that in God's providence, okay, some people just is just not going to penetrate them, and we need to continue to pray for them, but we need to accept the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's our job to share the truth, but it's not my job to make the truth penetrate the heart and minds of those that I share the truth with. Mm. Boy, Daryl, this is just outstanding. I'm going to take a little break. Daryl Harrison is my guest. Uh, he's a fellow of the Black Theology and Leadership Institute at Princeton Theological Seminary. He's also a dean of social media at Grace to You, the Bible uh, teaching ministry of John MacArthur. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. But if you have a question for Daryl, let me know what it is. Send me a text at 877-933-2484. Or you can also email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Daryl Harrison is my guest. We're really uh, glad to have him on the whole hour. And uh, my producer, Rebecca, Daryl, her IQ is 72 points higher than mine. So she's got a great question she'd like to ask As right now. As if we've compared. We have compared. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. There's a big difference. Daryl, we're so glad to have you. And I think I've been struggling with how to phrase this because I'm approaching this understanding that I don't have the experiences that other people have. And it seems like much of this is presented as a difference in experience, that maybe what my life is like is different than your life story, and that some of that has to do with how people perceive us in a racial identity, that because of how we look or or differences and where we come from, that that's going to automatically affect our experiences. And I think what I'm struggling with is how on earth do we ever come to the same page when there's this understanding out there that says that our experiences determine our reality and therefore we're not going to be able to be on the same page because I'm never going to have your experiences and vice versa. How do, how do we hope for unity if we see the world that way? Yeah, that's a great question, Rebecca. You know, my uh, podcast co-host Virgil Walker on the Just Thinking podcast 
Uh, if you're not subscribing, you need to subscribe to the Just Thinking Podcast. Sorry, I had to slip that in. But That's I think right. the answer we to your that. question, Rebecca, is that, first of all, and I, I don't mean to sound flippant here, but you, we, we really need to stop striving for unity. We really need to stop striving for that. I'm going to explain what I mean, but we really need to stop striving for unity because that's not unity. That's not unity. And see, what we need to understand here is that it's almost a double-edged sword. And what I mean by that, Rebecca, using that sort of uh, analogy and wordplay there, is that you're in a situation where you can't win. When you're in a dialogue with someone like that, you can't win because on the one hand, okay, they're saying, uh, yeah, your experience is not their experience. While at the same time, and see, I'm on the other side of this. So let's say, for instance, uh, just for the sake of, and Rebecca, you and I have never met, but let's just say for the sake of conversation, you're, you're white. Okay. I'm black. So, okay, so you're, you're, my experience, they're using the argument, well, my experience as a black person, you'll never understand because you're white and your experience by virtue of being white is totally different. Your experience is so far from mine, you'll never be able to relate to me. Well, first of all, it's not your job to relate to me. Okay, this is me talking. It's not your job, Rebecca, as a white person to relate to me. And you know what? My experience as a black person is different from every other black person's experience as well. Mm. So you don't get that side of the argument. Mm. The, the, uh, it, it, when, you, when someone's trying to uh, uh, make, make a, a case on the basis of experience, you, they, will get, they will grant you that uh, uh, a white person's experience is different from a black person's experience, but they will not grant you that black people's experiences are different from other black people's experience as well. So we're, 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 again, it goes back to the Imago Day of Genesis 127 for, for, for the, 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 uh, the misguided assumption that we're all supposed to relate to one another by virtue of experience. That's not the kind of unity the Word of God talks about. As a matter of fact, the Word of God says that I'm not to be equally yoked with, with an unbeliever. And as, as, chances are there, these are unbelievers who are asking these questions for, the, for a believer who is asking this kind of question uh, and saying that unity should be based in a common understanding of each other's experience, um, no, th that, that is a misnomer. That There is no scriptural basis for that, that kind of paradigm of unity based on experience. So that's what I mean when I say, you see, you're never going to land on the same page with it, Rebecca. You're never going to land on the same page. And I've learned uh, as someone who has written uh, on these social justice, quote unquote, racial reconciliation issues for years um, on my podcast, on the Just Thinking podcast, we have several episodes that deal biblically with issues of social justice and, quote unquote, racial reconciliation. So we just need to accept the fact, number one, going back to biblical definitions, what the Bible, how does the Bible define unity? The, nowhere in Scripture does the Bible talk about unity on the basis of a shared experience. No, we, we, unity begins with unity in Christ. That's where our oneness begins. And you know what? That's where our oneness ends. Hmm. Uh, 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 all other uh, uh, experiences and the like, that's, that's all superfluous. That has no significance whatsoever in terms of our oneness and our unity in Jesus Christ, which is the oneness that matters most. Great answer. Rebecca, you have any further 
comments to make about that brilliant answer? Well, I think it makes it makes so much sense, Daryl. I I don't want to say anything else and, and sound stupid. Uh, That's I, my job. I do want I do want to understand people <laughs> for the for the purposes of building friendships and relationships. But like you said, I mean, all of our our experiences are only valid in when we're uniting with one another in Christ. That's that's where we find unity is in the spirit. So that makes sense. I think I'm, I'm just concerned that it's like we're all looking at a similar set of facts, but we can't even agree on what truth is anymore, even among, right. among the that, church. And I don't know go. where to go with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You just nailed it. You just nailed it. I mean, unless, and, and this is what I tried to emphasize earlier, Unless your starting point is the Word of God, unless your starting point is the Word of God, you're starting at the wrong starting point. So, and again, this is why we need to be so attentive to the types of terms and words and vernacular that people are using. When you hear things, words like justice, uh, equity, uh, uh, unity, peace, things like that, I promise you, the world has a different definition for every single one of those words than the scripture has. So you have to take the person back to the scripture. Understanding, right, that under the Imago Day, okay, under Genesis one twenty seven, under Genesis five one, where God's word says that each human being bears his image, that has got to be the starting point. And the beauty, again, we were talking about, Bill, right? Acts 17, 26. I'm going to read that again. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So not only do all of us derive our humanity from one man, Adam, God in his sovereign providence uh, controlled when you will be born, where you will be born, who you will be born to, and the and even the milieu into which you would be born. So all those things point to God's sovereignty in giving each of us individual, unique experiences because that matches up with his creating us as unique individuals. That's so smart, Daryl. Uh, a listener, uh, Caroline, just uh, texted in Psalm 133.1, which is how good and pleasant it is when a when God's people live together in unity. Right. Yes, no, God's people. God's people, exactly. Um, another question. God's people. Yeah, another question. We just got a couple of minutes left. A listener was wondering what your take was on uh, Al Sharpton's funeral message yesterday. You may not have seen it. I may not have seen it. I most definitely did not see it. <laughs> I definitely did not see it. That's why I said that I, question I, towards I, yeah, the end. Yeah, exactly. I didn't. I didn't see that one on purpose. I deliberately missed that one. Yeah. Uh, let, let's just put, let's put it this way. Uh, Al, my my worldview and Al Sharpton's worldview could not be more diametrically opposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't align with him theologically. I don't align with him politically. I don't align with him. Um, uh, socioculturally, there is nothing I have in common with Al Sharpton apart from the fact that he and I share the blessed reality that we're both created in God's image. That, that's where my commonality with Al Sharpton ends. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, no, I, I did not see his message. Yeah, no. but of course he's paraded around as the Reverend Al Sharpton, and you would right. think that maybe you would hear uh, some some really significant biblical teaching 
at a funeral, but I think it was more towards the political side. I did not yeah, see not, it either. Not, so not, at a funeral where Al, not at a funeral where Al Sharpton is present. You, 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 will, you, you cannot expect to hear any sort of uh, solid biblical exegesis or, or, or hermeneutics coming from anywhere where Al Sharpton uh, is present. And, and, and let me say this. Um, speaking of Al Sharpton, Al Sharpton has a reputation for showing up in opportune times, mm-hmm. opportune times that fit his agenda, that fit his narrative. But I, for one, just speaking for Daryl Harrison, I do not subscribe to activist evangelism. I do not subscribe to activist evangelism. I am not someone who will ever uh, come down on the side of protestations, demonstrations, remonstrations, whatever you want to call it, because that is not the model that Jesus set for his church. That's not the model. We have to look back to what Jesus said. I mean, I think the Christian life really can be summed up. I think I'm, I'm going to try to get back to Ephesians real quick, because I know we're, we're coming up on the end here. Yeah, we have about 40 Ephesians, seconds left. The, the, the Christian life can be summed up in four words, in Ephesians 5.1, where Paul says, be imitators of God. Beautiful. That's it. That's the Christian life in Beautiful. four words. Be imitators of God. Yeah. Daryl, you're the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, man, thank you, brother. Yeah. Thanks I've for having so, me, my friend. So, so enjoyed you. I feel like you and I are friends, so thank you. Daryl B. Harrison has been my guest, and you can head over to justthinking.me. That's his uh, website. You can uh, sign up for his podcast. I know you're going to want to do it. I encourage you to do it today. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with uh, Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.